Hey. What's up, brother? This is my best friend, Colin. <laughs> I'm Joshua Michael. Ah, feeling good today, man. Feeling good. How you doing? I I had a great day for uh, considering everything that's been going on. Today was awesome just because I managed to get some huge things handled at work. And uh, I, I feel like we're really close to being completely ready. Uh, it's going to be an exciting an exciting job, I think. I'm still on the jazz from all that Star Trek Next Generation I watched yesterday, man. Oh, that dude. that energized yeah. me, man. Like not you know not to use the pun, but <laughs> it, it, it it thoroughly energized me. Uh, I am a Frenchman. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, pay no attention to like they they made off on a carriage driven by some albino, and I'm like oh data. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk about that uh, when we record pretty soon, but. I am so pumped. We were going to record last night, but we put the brakes on it because we realized that we absolutely, under no circumstances, cannot do an episode and not talk about the new issue episode of Watchmen, uh, episode three. Oh yeah, uh, guys, I, and you've got some. We've got some faithful listeners out there. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I need at least 15 minutes to just sit down and relax. And understand, I'm about to go on a ride with Regina King because that that snuck up on me the very first episode. Like you can't just spring Regina King on me. Like I lost my breath, I got sweaty, my hands were all clammy. <laughs> I've been in love with that woman. I've been in love with that woman since Friday, man. And uh, just she is knocking it out of the park. And I am so freaking proud of her for taking on such an ambitious role uh, that it's got some. Uh, could be drawbacks if you read it on paper. Okay, so you're, uh, you know, superstar black chick, uh, superhero, and you're driving a souped-up Cadillac. You're not even driving like uh, a caddy from like the '60s. You're driving like an '82, uh, one step up from a Cutlass, and it it is so cool and not what you think. And we've talked about it before, the racial tension. Um, but mm. let's talk about episode three. I have to say, I felt like a complete idiot. I got halfway through the episode, and I'm thinking, man, Lori, Lori. <laughs> Gene Smart yep. is Lori. I'm like, oh, she's the Silk Spectre too, you idiot. Like, I was just so... I don't know if it was the fact that it was Gene Smart playing her, who I've had a crush on since I was a child and designing women, or the fact that she was not the Lori that we know, which was such a good... You know, flip the. Sw- I know that was a big switch. Oh, flip the script to where it even did that. Did Did you have? Did you realize who she was? I mean, they they even said Blake. Oh, you dated him. And I'm like, when did? No, <laughs> I see. Okay, yeah, I got that part, but I did not. I didn't know what was going on. I'm not gonna say I'm as much of a fan as the Watchmen as a lot of people. I don't remember everything. I certainly don't remember the characters by their real names, which is stupid because they say them over and over again in the movie, and. Uh, uh, and everywhere else for that matter. But like, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't realize what was going on until it kind of clicked. And then of course you and I were kind of like live texting it to one another. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was dude. Yes. This, this show gets better with, with every new episode. I think as the more they expand on it and bring in the new stuff, bring in the stuff that we know, uh, it's, it just feels like a, it's fleshing it out. And, uh, oh man, what were you? You want to talk more about what you're talking about, or do you want me to mention the other thing that we both like a lot about it? I want to point out real quick that I wonder if we would be enjoying this show a lot more 
have we not been so spoiled with such a great television series or Netflix series that we can binge on, such as Stranger Things, and really just you know really you know chew the fat on that. But we're they're 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 torturing us, going old school and making us wait a week each each time. But I I, I, I good point. I, I, I yeah. I wonder if we would enjoy it more if we weren't so spoiled. Because we we've. we've um... I don't know. Stuff. I mean, is this something that you could you could definitely watch these episodes back to back to back and binge them uh, because of the way that they are presented and you you've got that little usually there's a little bit of overlap and they'll they'll show you something that uh, here's here's what you saw at the end of the last episode from a different perspective that seems to be a theme a theme going on here. Now uh, this episode was called "She Was Killed by Space Junk." Uh, most people outside of the goth and new wave community might not recognize this unless you're a really schooled hipster in Devo. Uh, that is a reference to a Devo song. And in the original Watchmen in the book, she introduces Night Owl to Devo. Uh, even tells mm-hmm. him that, you know, his, his goggles are, are very Devo-ish. And that's why, you know, that was the main reference when she's like, hey, you know, play, you know, hey, Alexa, play, play Devo. Um, but please continue with what we loved. I just needed to throw that out before. Dude, we, we both love Tim Blake Nelson. Oh, Looking Glass. Mm-hmm. I loved him in this episode. I real I loved him in the, every scene he gets. He takes over completely. It's incredible, and he's he's performing under a mask, mm. and it's it's in its it's and he's not even moving. It's in his voice that is transcendent of acting prowess right there. Oh, and that is something that is beyond what I ever realized was possible. And I know the man. I did a movie with him. You hung out with and the guy a couple times too. Yeah, lots of times. I hung out with him. I got to. I, we were up on a roof in uh, Capitol Hill in New York City, and uh, we were filming a scene. We were prepping to do a scene where these two 15-year-old kids who were dating were smoking cigarettes and talking about their life situation or whatever. And it took a long time to get that scene set up. Uh, and I don't know, I think it was lighting or whatever. And so f- for one of those minutes, it was one of these crazy places where it was like, okay, Tim and, and I are are not, uh, we literally have nothing we can do right now. We have to let everybody else do what they're doing. And um, I was the on-set dresser. So I just had to maintain continuity, but picture was not up. There was no camera running. And uh, we, you know, the set, the stage was not set. The scene was not ready until everybody else was ready. And when we got closer to it, then we could start sussing out what had to be done. And the, you know, the performers weren't even there. The kids weren't even there. Uh, And so he didn't have anybody to block the scenes with. And he just got to the point where he's like, you know what? I'm going to take this minute and just, and just chill. And he didn't, he didn't need to think about what was coming up or whatever. And we got to talking and uh, we'd already been talking for the whole show. We were very friendly. And he, uh, <clears throat> at a certain point, I was like, oh, yeah, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., have you, have you talked to anybody about that? Because this was brand new. That show had just been on. And he was like, oh, that's that Marvel TV show. And I'm like, yeah, do you th- have they approached you about being the leader in that? Because he was, he was, you know, the leader in Hulk, the, uh, the uh, Ed Norton Hulk movie. Correct. And he was like, he was like, no. Wait, wow, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Like to come back and do that character again. And I was I was like, totally. I mean, you know, if you hear from him, it'd be awesome to know. And uh, you know, clearly that's never happened, but um whatever. I mean, that was a really fun moment to talk about Marvel stuff and 
it's fascinating to me because he's from Tulsa. And yeah. we talked about Tulsa every so often. And he likes to get people's goats. He likes to, like, reach out and just mess with you a little bit. And he'd be like, you know, you don't know what's going on. You don't know. You're doing your thing. And then he'll just say something to get your attention to have a personal moment with you in the midst of all of this stuff. That's and just awesome. to see if he'll rattle you. And he'd be like, oh, but Colin knows all about hiking in Turkey Mountain. You take your kid up there, don't you? And I was like, yeah, we've been up there one time, but he's three. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, you know, it was a long time ago. But, um, man, I, you, I, I really enjoyed working with him. And he was crushing it on on The Watchmen. Working under a mask or just using his mouth. There was one, oh, th- there was, uh, or only mm. just seeing his mouth. And and you see, like there's there's a there's a grodiness to him, not a sleaze to him, but there's a grodiness to him. He's definitely if he was a cheeto that fell on the floor, you wouldn't pick him back up. You know, ten second rule on that one. Uh, having yeah. having to act just just seeing his mouth half the time, and also the fact that they needed a Rorschach for this, and they're obviously yes. you're turned off from Rorschach for, uh, because of the white supremacy link, which still makes no sense to me that they would pick up on him. As their uh, as their leader, I figured they would or, or or icon. I figured they would be comedian disciples. Um, they need someone that mm. that makes everyone uncomfortable at all times. I'm uh, gonna tell you something. I think about this real quick. Tell me. It, I don't. It, the racism aspect may be very very prevalent, but what is getting me about this? And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say things. To describe this, Tommy. and these are not viewpoints, I'm going to use some very un-PC language. I think that the, the battle here is ultra-white, ultra-right-wingers versus um, what they consider to be puffy libtards. Do you, I, you know, that's, I, I can see that. I think that's the dynamic. But do you think they're doing that on purpose because of the current economic, uh, socio-political, oh, economic uh, climate? It's happening now. This is a world where it's cranked till to 11. What a perfect this place. Is, is this Tulsa. is happening now after all the events of the Watchmen in the 70s and 80s and how Vietnam ended. If Vietnam had ended the way that it ended in the Watchmen, you better believe that the Republicans would have controlled everything for decades but it did not happen that way. And so then you have this unfortunate cultural wandering of wishy-washiness, which is why when you go back and you watch these uh, documentaries about the, about the 80s and what was the moment that changed everything? We beat the Russians at hockey. Yeah. And then that yeah. changes everything. And suddenly there's this new momentum. It took that long. It took, took seven years maybe to get to get things rolling and uh, having an, um, an american feel what are we now we lost a war and so uh you know you plunge into all of that and suddenly it's all about technology and fun and these things change you know uppers instead of cocaine yeah, yeah all of that instead of all of the shit that people were taking in the 60s to clock out i i, I gotta and now people I, Sorry, go ahead. I, I gotta make my uh, Simpsons reference back in like '93 oh, sure. when uh, Sideshow Bob got rearrested, and <laughs> he's they're throwing him in the paddy wagon. He's like, uh, just he's just spewing some random insanity out. He's like, don't wait, don't it's something like, uh, you just wait till the, the you can't keep the Democrats out of office forever, and when they do, I'll be back <laughs> on the streets with all of my criminal buddies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I never got that joke until I was an adult. Um, I want to go back to Tim Blake Nelson. Um, yeah, yeah, go crazy. I want to go back on Tim Blake Nelson. There was something I didn't catch in episode two that I caught in the uh, recap of episode two before episode three was when he's sitting in the car with um, with Regina King and she's like, "What are you interrogating me?" and and he's like, "Oh yeah, right. Should I be interrogating you?" And like the man is a psychic magnet for someone that's got something to hide, and you better believe he's gonna have a hawk eye on her after that. I still can't believe they didn't find they found the wheelchair uh, uh, tire treads, but they didn't find her SVU's treads that were there. Why hasn't that SUVs? happened? Yeah, her S- Yeah, sorry, uh, too much law and order. I get it always mixed up. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's an interesting point. That's a really interesting point. Like. They still haven't questioned Yeah, that's her. a... The show is so savvy about uh, police procedurals, and yet, you know, yeah, you've got all... But at the same time, you've got all of those other vehicles pulling up and in the area, and when she's having that conversation with them in the car, uh, they've driven all over those tracks. Yeah, that's a good point, but even then... But you would have had those tracks from virtually... You would have had them from a lot farther, a lot longer distance through that field. Correct. Uh, you know, yeah. Co- correct. It might be something that they might have missed. I don't. I, I don't think it's one of those things. Um, yeah. Uh, how did you feel about? And we talked about this earlier briefly. Um, uh, Silk Spectre too. Like it took me. Like she was such a flip on the character. You could have told me she was Silk Spectre too, and I wouldn't have been paying attention because it's a completely different flip on on Silk Spectre. Yeah. On, 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 on I just don't. I don't see any of the original sweetness there. It's ruined. It it, yeah, she is. It sucks to me to think that she's still got a thing for John, Doctor Manhattan. Uh, uh, I felt yeah. like she'd moved on at the end of the Watchmen movie, and um, that was a bit of a surprise. What was in the suitcase and. Uh, uh, that was ridiculous. That that was a little ridiculous because we've seen what John's packing just regular from the movie and and it, I worked with him and I worked with Billy Crudup also and uh, I made a Watchman joke and he took it very very well. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, but well, uh, the the, I don't know. the little twangs of human uh, relationships uh, that specific moment. So she's been trying to get to this what's in the suitcase almost the entire episode. And you don't know what's in the box until you see it, and you're like, when you realize, you're like, oh Jesus, like bad dragon, whoa. Um, second off, and then she see her like, okay, so she's still pining after that guy. Uh, second off, the reason she's probably so brutal is because of that relationship showering, uh, souring her on things. Third off, in the uh, extra things they, they put online, and they briefly mention it, you know, you got to go free your owl, is that Night Owl is in captivity. Um, oh, no kidding. Uh, fourth off, uh, that, that, that's what the reference was, the, the owl. Uh, still, she's, still, she's still, fourth off, she's tending all these relationship ghosts, and then she puts up, uh, closes the briefcase, and then goes and knocks on uh, that... That, that little uh, pipsqueak of an agent who I don't think is a pipsqueak who's really got to come into his own, but he's they, they're, yeah. they're they're pulling it off on that. But even then, like that was such a terrible decision. Um, uh, someone you work with like that, and then uh, the... oh, it wasn't because of that. It you know she gave him what he wanted. 
You really think that... I didn't get that impression that he had a thing for I don't think he's a fanboy. I really don't think he's a fanboy. But at the same time, he has such a respect. I really dug his whole monologue on the airplane about being uh, an historian before he was in the FBI. Right. And then, you know, to be stuck being the slide boy, which that kind of stuff whacks me out. Like, you don't have cell phones. You've got pagers. And it's 2019. And then you've got all this stuff hovering like anti-grav in different weird places around the Washington Monument or Memorial rather. And like, but, but you've got, uh, I don't know. You just have all these weird technologies floating around that are, are from days gone by. And, uh, you've got, no, wait a minute. Maybe I'm mistaken. There's in what? Oh, no, okay, you know what? I actually got confused for a second. I went to see the new Terminator movie, and there was a moment... I was thinking about uh, CCTV and cameras being everywhere, and right. and uh, I don't know that that's necessarily happening in The Watchmen. Um, I they, s- made a, they made a point that you can't do anything without being recorded in Terminator uh, because of 2019. Well, let's, talk about, <clears throat> let's talk about that next. Let's wrap up on Watchmen. Yeah, uh, sure. Ha- like, uh, those are like the main takeaways. I had a ton from the last one. But uh, this one was just more uh, uh, character development and, and making uh, more tension. And the fact that they didn't even show what happened to Lewis Gossett Jr., uh, adding more suspense. Uh, kick-ass job, writers of Watchmen. Uh, kick-ass Jeez, job. Yeah. Um, Trent Reznor. And let, me, let me just pull up the credits because, you know, we're big on that. Uh, writers, mm. let's see. Episode 3. Sorry, guys, I didn't think to... Go ahead, you look it up. I'm going to say, like, it's director. very impressive to me that the entire uh, the entire crew seems to be listed in the credits every yeah. at the end of every episode as if every episode is a feature. Right. Director Stephen Williams, writers uh, Lila Biok, Dave Gibbons' graphic novel, obviously. I, I don't know why they're not putting that he's, like, created by Dave Gibbons and dot, dot, dot. Just fuck you. We're going to let you know you're still here uh uh alan moore yeah um damon lindoff creator uh helped write it as well uh alan moore uncredited graphic novel um good job guys keep making excellent television uh theatrical television we need to get that word out there real that's a good point yeah we need to get that word out there uh, i wish that don johnson were gonna be in it Oh the my whole God. time. Uh, he's gonna, really he's gonna be showing up Don in Johnson. flashbacks. I love Don Johnson just as well, but man, I cannot tell you how disappointed I was when uh she found Sister Knight yeah. found that that KKK uniform. And I even got into the point to try to justify it. Because um I remember reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's <clears throat> book about when he was a, a teenager and he found his dad's SS uh uniform in a trunk no way i didn't know that in a trunk um knowing what he knows about nazis there was nothing that he took it and immediately burned it if he if he wrote that book now people would have been expecting something like that he would have been expected to say like how disgusted he was and threw it away but no he found his dad's ss outfit now uh and guys i'm not justifying this i'm talking about it in the fact that he is um a human being and maybe that was his dad's clan outfit and he just couldn't throw it away even though he should have and it's a you know it's a a deplorable part of human history i do have to say uh back in art art school 
I had a art teacher from Ghana, um, and he was like, he got, he was aghast one day. He was like, I don't understand it. Uh, I, I come from extreme poverty and, um, and, uh, illness and I come to America and you guys have the clan. It, it makes no sense. We have, we have, you know, renegade, uh, you know, uh, gorillas out there. Um, and I can wrap my mind around that, but I can't wrap my mind around the clan. And he, he was big old tall, uh, black guy from Ghana, man. And he was just, he just couldn't get it. But, but mm. I'm thinking, why can't he get it? And I'm, I'm like, oh wait, cause I grew up with this. It's just, this, just the norm that I grew just up. Just a thing that's just out there. Just a thing that's out there. Oh yeah. Don't worry Let about that. Let me ask that. you this. Do you think in your life you've ever actually met a clan member? Oh, absolutely. Um, I lived in Montgomery, Alabama. Chances are, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. You do. You are more well, well. Uh, I guess well traveled. Yeah. But what I'm wanting to say is that you've actually lived in a lot more places than I have. I'm being an Air Force kid, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, mm. uh, dude, tell me about Terminator, man. Um, oh, it, um, it, yeah. So everyone's yeah. shitting on it right now. There's a large part of it that should be shit on. And, you know, obviously I already said something that was extraordinarily inflammatory and I didn't do it to be inflammatory. I'm saying the the perspective, the art perspective of the Watchmen, that dichotomy. And uh, I think, unfortunately, Terminator is, again, falling into the same line of... Um, Are you going to give any spoilers? Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm going to spoil the shit out of it for everybody. Cool. Uh uh, it's it's doing the same damn cultural direction that a lot of stuff is going. Star Wars is gone, and um, God help me. I mean, it's just there's so much now that it's overwhelming, and I can't even like you. Ever nothing is safe. Was it good from from it? Um, no, it wasn't good. What, uh, like uh, on on a scale of uh, Terminator One to all the like the worst Terminator, which I would say is um. It uh, wasn't the. It wasn't the. Uh, was it better than Terminator Three? Clark Terminator. I like Terminator Three. Okay. Uh, I I really I actually I like Terminator Three. Um, the only thing about Terminator Three that I'm not particularly fond of is uh, I think it robs. The problem I have with most of these franchises is that they eventually start making fun of themselves. And uh, so, like, you you start the beginning of Terminator 3, and Arnold shows up, and he's he's at the strip club, and then he walks out with the silly glasses. And I'm like, that's so stupid. But, like, uh, at least it wasn't, you know, the Terminator movie with Amelia Clark, who I thought was an incredible, incredible young Linda Hamilton. I thought she looked the part. I thought she performed well. I know. I, I feel like uh, she didn't really appreciate uh, what that. I, I don't feel like she really liked being in that role because I think she was concerned about franchise stuff. But uh, um, <clears throat> so, not talking about that, I'm saying like the intro to Arnold sucked in that movie. And then uh, Claire Danes, as much as I love Claire Danes, she's awful at crying. Awful. I can't stand watching her cry. It's not believable. It's too forced. It doesn't. I'm. That's me bitching about somebody's acting prowess. Yeah. And I'm sorry. And that's. I'm sorry, guys. I just. I love every. I love Claire Danes. I really do. I just don't want to see her cry in any movies at all, ever. And um, yeah. 
uh, had enough of it in my so-called life, which I only watched to be cool at school. Oh, dude, I adore that series. I've watched it uh, three times at least since I saw it in, in its second run. But staying on point here, um, yeah, I like Terminator 3 a lot. I really love how that movie ends. <clears throat> I really like the next Terminator movie, Salvation, if, that, if I'm not mistaken, the one with Christian Bale. Yeah. But mainly because I wanted to see John Connor doing John Connor stuff. Yeah. And you could take all of that Sam Worthington stuff out, and I'd still have been fascinated by that movie. I That was um, a decent movie. I was. You're right. I'm glad to yeah, see John cool. Connor being John, a, a badass John Connor as opposed to the... I thought, a, he, yeah. It looked like they picked a junkie to play John Connor in Terminator 3, and that just killed me. Oh, yeah. Um, Jason Stahl is that his name? Stahl? Yeah, Nick Stahl. Nick, Nick Stahl. Stahl. I think he was actually. I think he's actually or was. I hope he's gotten better. A, a, an actual uh, addict. Uh, I'm not sure what it was. Oh, you think he has an issue? I didn't uh, know if he I'm had an issue. Ninety nine point nine percent sure. I read about that like after the fact. Oh, and then the, and the, the reason they didn't have uh, Edward Furlong is because he had the same problems. That's the time. It's a way oh. more full blown. Uh, but yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about some comics, yeah. man. Let's uh. I got. We've got. I got the hey, list. Hold up, hold up. I'll just say that it's a new Terminator movie. If you're a if you're a fan of the franchise, it's gonna let you down, and um, it's just too damn bad. I mean, just stop making Terminator movies. Yeah. There's no reason to drag any of these guys out. Sarah Connor was. I mean, if you wanted spoilers, they killed John Connor as a kid. A CG Edward Furlong in like the first five minutes. Really? Thus ripping off the entire, every other movie. Oh yeah, it's a total reset. Why? No, and then. I would have walked out. I would have been. I, they I'm can done. reset things through time travel as much as they want to and maintain all of these characters. But then it's like, and then, and then the, the, uh, oh God, I mean. I don't, I don't walk out. It's, yeah, it's really disappointing because, um, it's like the new Star Wars movies. Jesus. You by by there still being an empire and by just handing it off to the new students, the new kids, it automatically rips off everything that all of you the characters you ever liked had fought and struggled for. You have and ruined so, all that is sacred to me. It's basically yeah, and I mean I watched it and I when I, once I was like past that concept, I was just like Okay, now it's just time for dumbass movie tropes. Oh my god, imminent amazing danger, amazing danger, and then Sarah Connor shows up out of nowhere, saves the day. They run away, she catches up to them, and you're like, how the, why, how did she know? And then they finally explain it, it's like, okay, no big deal. Uh, You know, the Terminator that killed John grew a conscience, and... Has a family and knows when all the other Terminators are going to appear in time, so he alerts Sarah to this fact so she can destroy them in their nascent she, stage of being in this time. She makes friends with the Terminator that kills John? That obviously No, they... she doesn't. Oh, okay. Alright, well, she at least works with him. <laughs> yeah, she has to have a grudging yeah. relationship with him. And uh, it, was, it was just... Go back to Terminator 2 and seeing her losing her mind over the Terminator for a few minutes and not trusting him. And it took her the whole movie to figure it out. So you get that aspect of it, but that like one of the best in the, of the end, I'm going, so what you're telling me is that if the Terminator two 
from Terminator 2 had not been melted down in the lava, he could have survived and grown an entire conscience and been exactly what we all wanted him to be. John's father. Could have been John's father years and years later with a sense of humor, with compassion, with an understanding of the human condition, so much so that he would try to give Sarah Connor a purpose in life to destroy Terminators as they appear. But by the way, my that field, was an amazing science fiction moment. Yeah, it's one of the best parts of it. But I, I do need to point out uh, that uh, to all our listeners that if you have not watched the Terminator Two Skynet edition, uh, you're oh, man, you're, yeah. you're going to lose a lot of what we're talking about right now because the all a lot of the character development uh, was <clears throat> lost on the cutting room floor, but luckily fell That's into true. our hands in the uh, Blu-ray uh, Skynet. Uh, version. I hope uh, all y'all have it. I'm sure you can find it at any store for like five bucks now, but it's worth it. There's, I swear, it's like thirty extra minutes. Like the, if you haven't seen, oh, it's yet, totally worth it. If if yeah. you guys are, are questioning whether or not you've seen that version, if you don't remember John outside of the taco stand when they first get to Mexico teaching oh, the, the teaching the Terminator to smile, if you don't remember that part, then you haven't seen the Skynet version. You have to see the scene where they have to take, help reset the terminator and the they go out. into his head and they have the amazing sequence where linda hamilton linda hamilton yeah her, her twin sister is on the other side of the mirror so they can do this entire gag so arnold can be sitting on the other side of the mirror so that they can be digging around inside the head with a practical effect arnold's arnold head duplicate right this is astonishing practical special effects filmmaking and it is absolutely worth watching for every moment i mean you if you if there's more terminator 2 out there it's all worth it anyway she also yeah she also so, played the uh right. uh t1000 version of uh sarah uh at the end scene um oh that's right yeah, yeah. She, she, she did that but yeah let's uh let's get in some comics uh thanks, Dude, let's guys. move on let's, yeah. let's thank move you on. thank you for that we've got a ton of great comics that we want to go over in collegiate level here and let you know why that they're good not just that they are good and uh <coughs> excuse me teenage mutant turtles number 99 silver surfer black number five uh i snuck this in here i forgot i read it superior spider-man number 12 the end of the series uh kick-ass number 18 oh, I should have read that harleen number two dead man logan number 12 fight club three number 10 tales from the dark multiverse number one the death of superman basketball heads number one Excalibur number one, Doctor Strange Annual number one, Invisible Woman number four, Marvel Zombies Resurrection number one, Star Trek Year Five number seven. Ah, it was a good week for comics. It was a, it was a lot of it, a lot of these were surprises. Uh, a lot of these, uh, like maybe like five of the ones on my list, I want to go through maybe just a couple of minutes because I really I don't I I, I don't want to deprive you from the story uh, because I just want to tell you uh, a few key moments and not ruin the story. Uh, for example, uh, Dead Man Logan, uh, number 12, uh, which has been a phenomenal story for the past, like, what I would say, like, five years of trailing uh, Old Man Logan since he returned uh, from, um, you know, that alternate timeline mm -hmm. from Secret War. Um, but, yeah, what do you want to do first, man? Sorry, I reached over for my hot water. Uh, no, go in with that. Start with, start with Logan. How's that going? Okay, so... Dead Man Logan, number 12. Let me uh, 
Bring up my issue. I'm, I'm drinking my hot tea, everybody. Your hot tea? Uh, <clears throat> my hot tea. What flavor? Uh, what is... Uh, God. Oh, it's a peppermint. I love peppermint tea. <clears throat> Dead Man Logan, number 12. Cover artist, Declan Shalvey. We've got oh. Ed Brisson, writer. Mike Henderson, artist. Nolan Woodard, color artist. VC's Corey Pettit, uh, letter. Corey Pettit. And, and for... We love these guys. Uh, for everyone that doesn't know what VC means, it's a virtual calligraphy. And I believe from what little bit of information about them is on the internet about their actual um, company is that they are Marvel owned. Um, and they oh, get, all right. they, they get to, or at least uh, uh, the way Pixar was, and they can still do things for other people, but it's primarily Marvel. So we were winding down. Wolverine is using his last bit of, of serum to... Uh, juice himself up to fight uh, the army of uh, Sabretooth clones, and his compatriot has now gathered Mjolnir uh, at, you know, the 11th hour, and you know, the battle goes accordingly, and they carry out his wishes. They take him to see his family, and it's been the journey to get to the family in, in a long, hard goodbye. And mm. that is what I want all y'all to take from this is the long hard goodbye and i certainly hope that marvel isn't playing with their emotions oh there's jack and kj what's up guys jack and kj <laughs> in the morning in the morning uh sorry that's a joke i don't know why yeah. we do that just they're, to, they're, it's a, they're it's a, awesome they're awesome uh, that's your two german yeah. shepherds right two german shepherds jack and kj but jack and kj don't don't take our long hard goodbye because we've constantly been played with long hard goodbyes with wolverine uh the ending of fatal attractions when he's reaching paradise and alanya who had died as a as a, a regenerated degenerated back to a child who just died a couple issues beforehand is welcoming him and then and then pushes him back we see some light and we see a little bit of possibility i i really want this alternate future to be done with but eventually someone's gonna have a quote unquote good idea for it and uh that's i i hope you guys enjoy it this 12 issue dead man logan has been worth every penny and uh, it's certainly going to be one of those uh trade paperbacks that y'all are gonna end up with uh, that was a copy that this guy loaned to one guy and then nah, i don't care just give it to someone else when you're done reading it one of those one, <laughs> one of those one yeah. like like it's it's gonna it's gonna be traveled but it's nothing that it's nothing that is historic in the sense of uh, Wolverine because you really can't top Old Man Logan. Like it, it, like it still baffles me that they got this many good stories out of uh, a rehashed uh, Mark Millar story that was superior in every way and should never have been touched. But you know why not? It was fun and good job, guys. Um, thank you very Let much. Let me ask you something real quick, and it's a little bit off topic. Sure. Uh, you you mentioned like people borrowing books. Um, I does anybody okay? This is a question for anybody, really. If you would, I it's just I don't know. I mean, I guess I could look this up, but Are does your... is any? I'm prefacing too much. Does anybody know if uh, comic books like this are allowed in prisons? Does anybody, if you're going to loan books or if you're going to donate books, I mean, what if you donated a bunch of trade paperbacks like this to prisons or? I don't know why, I mean, it, it's obviously like free speech, but uh, I don't know why anybody wouldn't be getting this content. 
I want to find out, nope. but not in the, not <laughs> not in the wrong way. Uh, it's Colin <laughs> Colin and Josh at minefieldscomicspodcast.com. Uh, send yes. us some email. Tell us tell us that you yeah, hate if you us. know the you answer to us. that. I'd love to know. Uh, real quick, I want to touch on Fight Club Three Number Ten. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk, writer; Cameron Stewart, Stewart, artist. Uh, colors: Dave McCaig. Letters: Nick Pecos for Blambot, and David Mack for co- uh, covers. Um, this one got. I really just want the story to end. <laughs> I just, I, 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 it has been way too. I, I really too much. It, it's not that it's too much. It's like one of my favorite things about Polonic books is that he peppers it with random knowledge that you really have no use for, but certainly makes for interesting conversation uh, in terms of, like, um, subculture. and or, or did you know that this is actually a thing type uh, con- yeah. conversations? But this was, I mean, uh, th- th- they go pretty far that Tyler was involved in the death of Marla's parents and the death of Marla's parents was uh, something else. <laughs> uh, basically furry play uh, in the forest when she's running away from a quote-unquote bear and Tyler influences a hunter uh, or figures out a way to just... It, he he influences it to the point where they're in a dangerous situation and this naked woman is running through the forest getting chased by a you know a bear or whatever and a hunter's like boom up oh, both well, dad's dead <laughs> and, Whoa. and then uh and then she uh does it again with some other guy another version of tyler and then uh boom dead mom and uh raised by it's it's basically a a a, a an abridged version of Marla's upbringing. And you get, you know, obviously you see her as the, the painful goth being raised by her grandmother. And this Chloe thing needs to go. (laughs) Oh yeah. No kidding. Yeah. This Chloe thing needs to go, but it's, it's been pretty funny. And, but yeah, really guys, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, This is going to be way more digestible. If you read it all in one fell swoop. So when you don't have a month to go, what the hell just happened? I know exactly. Every time it's not I've been able fun. to pick up an issue, I totally, I didn't even realize it came out this week. And every time I pick it up, I'm just like, I don't, I don't even know what the hell's going on now. And like, I can't see all the little hints and Easter eggs, if that's what's even going on. And I think I'm looking too hard. I remember reading every, the first two issues, like cover to cover, every for every penny's worth and yep. like not and still not being able to get what the hell is going on it's anyway. not like the, the the suspense isn't even fun in 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 comparison to what we were talking about Ooh. earlier of getting to the agonizing weekly weight of next episode of watchmen but that's that's yeah. all i have for that one but still it didn't suck i just uh uh i still have to put myself out there that i don't know everything and there's probably a ton of things I'm missing, and I'm gonna have to re-go back this, and we're probably gonna have to do a long box on this. But uh, let's uh, let's move on. Yeah, man, I picked up uh, Doctor Strange Annual number one. Oh, tell me about that. Uh, uh, it was two issues in one. It was because you know it's an annual, so that you get these little vignette pieces and stuff. The first issue or the first story was pretty interesting, and the second issue was like, man, I'm not into this. And then it got pretty amazing at the end because it was revelatory towards Wong 
Anyway, um, let's see. What do we got? We, yeah, we have two different stories. One of them's called Hallowed Evening. That's the one I really liked. It was a Tinny Howard story, Andy McDonald uh, penciling, which was really good. Uh, uh, Andy, uh, Andy McDonald also did the inks. And then uh, Triona Tree Farrell was the colorist. That was very good. And, um, yeah, that story is uh, basically it's Halloween, which so is timely for this to come out. Um, so I kind of felt like, oh, man, I wish I'd read this, you know, last week. But um, <clears throat> Zelma comes back, if you remember Zelma. I do not. Yes. You don't remember Zelma? Um, oh, oh, the, she oh the, was, the, the woman that yeah. left him. Like, the yeah. Yeah, she was his librarian. And it's not that she's come back. She's just come by to trick-or-treat because she figures, you know, hey, whatever, it's a party. She gets there, and they're having a seance, basically. So all of the all the local wizards die, you know, the Scarlet Witch, Brother Voodoo. Um, crap, what is the other girl's name? I cannot recall it. Uh, several characters. Ange- uh, uh, Harkness? Angela Harkness? Oh, I, love um, Brother, I love Brother Voodoo. He's been kicking ass on Savage Avengers, which has been really good. Ah, uh, See, I didn't know what to think about that character because I felt like, oh, this is a black exploitation character. It comes out of the 70s. I didn't really know what to do with him. And then I remember when the Web of Spider-Man Hero Click set came out, he was one of the characters in it. And I focused on him and I was like, because he had a lot of interesting abilities. And then I was like, this guy's interesting. So I started, like, anytime he showed up in contemporary Marvel stuff, I read into him and I was like, yeah, okay, no, I dig. Um, and so uh, uh, they, uh, they're having a seance and Zelma being, you know, more or less a noob, even if she is a little bit wizened ended up uh, breaking the circle and then pandemonium ensues and it was just kind of cute it was a cute story and uh do, remember in uh, black uh, black cat recently when black cat and uh the gang broke into the sanctum and they got uh misled by the two serpents right those serpents are in this book and i don't remember ever seeing them before and I've read a lot of Doctor Strange, but I feel like I'd never seen there. There were like a new edition, so it was really rad for that to cross over into Doctor Strange proper. And so um, <clears throat> that was a cute story. And then the second one is called Treat. Uh, it was uh, written by I can't believe this is the name Pornsack Pichote, uh, penciled late Kumar Sharma, inker Sean P. Parsons. Colorist uh, Jose Antonio Villarubia Jimenez Movediano. Yes, that's all real. And um, this was a story that started out kind of like a DNR. Like, it felt like a DNR story. And um, you have these two brothers who are possessed, and they're running around causing all this mayhem and stuff, and they have a... uh, they have a special knife. They go for a special knife that's destined to kill the Sorcerer Supreme. And they think, okay, cool, we can go after Doctor Strange and then whatever will happen. But then Wong shows up and he's got his brother with him. And he's like, no, you know, you're not going to be able to do anything with that dumb prop. And he like breaks it and they're just flabbergasted. This is supposed to be this amazing weapon. And he's like, no, guys, what you don't understand is that you're possessed and that's just a prop and I'm the weapon. And so the reveal is that Wong is a living weapon that is destined to kill Doctor Strange, but only if he becomes compromised. So think back into like Jim Lee, Spider-Man in the 800s. Okay. Uh, 
and you've got like, okay, hey, Batman, you've got a kryptonite ring, and if you ever need to fight me and defeat me, or if I get compromised, I'm Superman, you can you can tackle me you, by having this kryptonite you ring. You mean Jim Lee Batman? Is that what is that not what I said? You said Spidey, sorry. Just just Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, everybody. Yeah, the Jim Lee uh uh Superman in the eight hundreds. And um you know, two thousand two ish era. And uh yeah, because it happened in that book, you know, Poison Ivy got Superman and possessed him for a while, and then, you know, Batman had to hit him a couple of times with a kryptonite punch, and it was cool. And so that's what they're saying is that if Doctor Strange was ever compromised, Wong is a living weapon capable of destroying Doctor Strange if he has to. And so, he knows that he would die immediately if he had to do that. He would, it's like a bee sting. He would he would be he would also die. This is the this is the literary redemption of why an annual is worth every penny sometimes. Oh my gosh, I know. Because the last time I saw an annual do this, it was in one of the Ultimates annuals. It might have been Ultimates Annual Volume Two or Volume Three or something like that. And Nick Fury put out a hit. Uh, he, he, it was about the world's most dangerous assassin and this guy just lives a normal life and then he goes off on his missions and he's a fat guy that, you know, has a family and he's got a barbecue and he lives in a suburb and whatever and he goes off on these missions and he's just the world's most deadly sniper. Nick Fury is his target, but then he draws the guy out. Nick Fury put a hit out on himself to be able to kill this guy. And that was essentially it. Wong has this story out there in the world that there is a weapon that is capable of killing Doctor Strange and it is destined to do so. So people go out looking for it and then he defeats them. And that in and of itself helps secure the Sorcerer Supreme from being destroyed. And it, like, it was such a clever... It's always a fascinating thing to see somebody retell that plot. Does and this 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 was cool? I liked it. Does Wong have to die, or is this just a a, a, a potentiality? Or it's a potentiality. This is if a... if if this happened, he would die. Like he is, he's fated to be able to kill Doctor Strange, but it doesn't mean that it has to happen. This, he does not have to kill Doctor Strange. This is a fascinating uh, literary. Um tool when you flip the script yeah. when you flip the script like that it's one of those things i feel like uh anyone who's <clears throat> really hardcore to dr strange is like why don't i ever think about that <laughs> like well, i know well, well you know why would you it's that you go back and for people who haven't been reading dr strange wong in the comics is his manservant and also has his own whole thing going on because of course you know yeah he's a tibetan monk and he's a kung fu master and so there was a really great book, Doctor Strange, The Oath, and um, Doctor Strange was not as powerful in that book for a while, but he still knew Kung Fu because Wong taught him. And it was like, okay, cool, you know, I, you know, you think I can't do anything with magic or you've deactivated my magic, I can still kick your ass. It was amazing. And like, Wong is a multi-talented character that was probably underutilized for a really long time, and when he decided to go out on his own, he's got his own like a uh, haunted motel that or hotel that he's running and people really, really dig it. So he's got his own stuff going on now and it'd be rad because you could almost have like, you know, a six or four parter about Wong at this point. Anyway, this is a ton of stuff to say about a, uh, about a very short vignette story. 
but it just fires the imagination. You know, uh, I want to talk about you and I real quick. I had a mm-hmm. great idea. Um, you and I are writing an artistic team. Um, you and I, when we're writing for Marvel and DC, you and I need to be the guys that they bring in for the annuals. Whether whether or not you and I are working on a completely different script for a different like all our different other projects that we do together or even individually, um, we need to get the clout to where like okay annuals coming up let's get Colin and Joshua Michael and th- <laughs> they'll knock this out of the park and we'll go in and be like okay here's what we need we need to guarantee us that this is gonna be on great paper stock. <laughs> we want i don't think we get to make those decisions but <laughs> yeah no why not why not ask it, uh, it's worth it everyone's always asked me how did how did you ever do that and i asked um mm-hmm. good paper stock we want these fine artists uh we want one of these four fine artists to do the cover like when lost fish did a cover for marvel one time which is a you probably don't know that name i'd want Lori eerily to do that uh, a cover for uh there's a lot of fine artists, uh, underground fine artists that I, I find uh, I don't, I'm completely confused why they're not constantly in the pages of heavy metal, which I still read, by the way. And um, Joshua and Colin, Colin and Joshua, Michael uh, made a like, OK, what's the source material? Give us like, uh, we, you know, we, we'll figure it out. I don't know. Just like what, what give us an idea of what you want. We give them an amazing script and art, and then the annual becomes something that, oh, the annual, hell yeah. Totally, totally. Hell yeah, because, um, dude, uh, like, you were a Spidey guy, I was an X-Men guy, and a Spidey guy, but more X-Men. Um, yeah. The X-Men <clears throat> annuals from back on the day were just amazing. And, yeah, you, let's uh, let's move on. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Um, what do you got next? Oh, dude, let's go into uh, let's go into black. Let's go into Silver Surfer Black. I'm glad you said that. I can't believe this is only a five issue, but it feels like a great place for it to end. I was so bummed, uh, and I have questions for you. Can can, 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 yeah. can I ask you like questions here? Um, spoilers abound. Okay, so yeah, spoilers obviously all over this one. you know that if you're listening to our podcast. Um, from what I understand, he's been uh, taken like because this has been like a couple of months. He's uh-huh. vastly in the past when e- uh, ego is a developing planet still as a child not even a teenager and he has projected use ego's power to project his consciousness throughout the eons to gain enough power to do his best to stop uh null correct yeah yeah um when he... oh because he came out of the black hole yeah i didn't get the concept after you know in one reading like this is one of those books i want to grab every issue and just read them back to back yeah uh because i feel like i missed the fact that he was that far back in time right i did not realize okay so in from what i understand because this was like reading an abstract portrait uh an abstract uh uh review of an abstract painting that they only got the reviewer only got to see uh in one viewing and then they were, you know, the, the curtain was closed and hope you got it. And not that, you know, we can't go back and reread it, but that's how it felt reading it. it like I couldn't read it fast enough because of how fast paced it was. And I feel like yeah. I missed a lot of things because it was just so much going on and it was beautifully, uh, uh, created. Um, 
it basically built the fact that the Silver Surfer beat the evil and inside of himself, not that he really had evil, but like the, the, the symbiotic, you know, blackness destroying him and all and didn't sacrifice his valor and his heart and, oh, and, yes. and, and gave up. So that's what I, I feel was the whole point of it, uh, of especially with the, the last page, uh, you know, for Stan. Um, yes. He's the one, he could never go back to Zenlaw and have a child. And he was told in the um, flashbacks or, or talking to the Watcher that, yeah, there's a, there's a reality where you die alone on Zenlaw. And so there's that. And he, using his light and the, the, the star inside of him, uh, the cosmic energy, he's actually the one that created Zenlaw. Oh, man, I love I love paradoxes like that. Perfect. Like, man, yeah, I, jeez. Uh, I, I, I did a Star Trek fan fiction that was like that years and years ago. Um, it was ridiculous, but like... It, and it had a whole multiverse lean and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love paradoxes like that. I love when the end is the beginning. And uh, I I just appreciate it. Yeah, he essentially, he's so far back in time. He creates Zen Law. Uh, and then, but that was the thing, is that he would he was scattered across the entire universe by this battle. Sorry about the squeaky chair. It's uh, part of that... Uh, chintzy hotel stuff and um and so he got to be part of everything he is up he is in everything and everywhere do, do he is that stardust that we all are do you feel that he's the his stardust is the creation of the entire marvel universe is that what they're getting it at? could be i mean i would love to see all of these great uh recreation stories paired up and matched mashed together somewhere because that's what happened in doctor strange recently you know the whole galactic galactus techno galactus uh mystic galactus thing and then he was like okay to fix this i have to reset the entire universe by re redoing it all over however many many millennia that's gonna take right. and um maybe you know spreading the seed of the uh of uh silver surfer black is what had to happen it's, and it's it was a total rebirth. He had to die to to restart himself. It's like resetting your computer. It's it's interesting <clears> that they're doing this at a time in uh, the uh, the new issues of the Hulk that they're revealing that the Hulk is going to be the next Galactus and the next after after the death of Franklin Richards, which in my mind is just unheard of. Uh, just, we haven't even flushed him out well enough yet to even do that. I know he's still a kid for crying <laughs> to, out loud. To to tell him like you know. Uh, millennia in the future where he everything's gone and he's using the hulk to do the new next cocoon the way uh galactus was and i, I yeah I, i'm sad i can't remember the name of what galactus's name was before he was galactus in the pod galen galen yes galen um mm-hmm. but i i man i was sad it ended so quickly but it's a good thing it ended so quickly this couldn't have carried on so yeah. long Don, donny kate's this was such like what he's writing in so many other different books right now, guardians, you name it. This was like 
this was a poem. This was prose. This was something that should be studied. This is something that I'm sure he slaved over more than he would have. Uh, like where I, I imagine him being in Marvel uh, offices when they're like, "You need to do this better with uh, Guardians." Okay, I'll fix that real quick. But what the entire time he was really thinking about the next line of, of prose that he was going to insert into the story of the Black Silver Surfer. And yeah, and uh, kick ass to you, Donny Cates, for challenging yourself to write such a um uh what's the word i'm i'm spacing at the moment a not just a challenging book but a you know not just you as as a writer but it was daring it was everything daring this was absolutely daring because it takes the character in a whole new direction Mm -hmm. it gets him back into the story it gives him something that he's that he has to contend with that's what we that's what we love about daredevil yeah Every issue of Daredevil seems like it pushes the story and there are going to be consequences that the next writing team has to uh, take into account. Yep. And you're not getting that on a lot of books. You're not getting that in a lot of TV shows. And, and good good on you, Mr. Cates, for building your clout <clears throat> big enough to pull this off and for obviously for them to have left you the hell alone on this one. Uh, this was too experimental. And... For any uh, corporate person I've ever dealt with that would ever, if I would imagine was in the, the, the seats to do make decisions in Marvel, would ever let you get away with unless you had done such groundbreaking work and obviously played ball. So kick ass for you. Yeah. Um, real quick, I do want to mention uh, uh, off subject now. Um, finally, I got the email that my TKO comics, uh, the, you know, the TKO comics, there's the, they release them in the, 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 the uh all at once like you're you're binge reading yes, yes. i finally got mm-hmm. the email i ordered it back in the spring um because it was supposed to be out in the spring and then nothing in the summer and sorry uh uh, uh belanger I've, I've been bugging you on facebook all the time when is the damn book coming out and sorry to tko always bugging you on, on instagram but i got the email they're on their way i cannot wait to digest that the first wave of tko comics was phenomenal and i'm going to uh we're going to review them um probably i'm probably going to do a recording uh if if you're in if you got the time about that before the next wave comes in we can digest that or just use that as a preview uh for reading the next ones uh good job and you guys i can't wait to get them your product is phenomenal um it's well uh back in the day like when i was working at this one place that was always a long wait to do things uh, to get to our customers, we, the the saying was make the make the wait make the ride worth the wait, and I have no doubt in my mind that it's worth the wait. And sorry, you've got a ten year old kid wondering why he hasn't gotten his subscription yet, but that's uh, that's the grounds you're working with, a bunch of fanboys, guys. <laughs> um, I I want to get a little bit different on this one. I want to talk about Harleen number two. Harleen number two, uh, the second installment of the DC Black Label series detailing the uh, mental deconstruction of Harleen Quinzel into Harley Quinn. Uh, book two, uh, Sejefan Sejek, uh, Story and Art, uh, Gabriela Downey, Letters, uh, Sefian Sejek, Cover and Variant Cover. 
Harley Quinn created by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim. You gotta bring those guys' names in. Absolutely. Way mm. way to do it. Usually that doesn't happen, but it's she's that Paul Dini. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. she's that iconic of a character to bring in like uh to you know, something that was I wonder if it was just a, a joke. The Joker's gotta have a girlfriend. Let's just have some fun with it. Um Okay, so this is something that is happening with ten other things happening going on. In order to understand certain things in history, you can't just see that we lost the Vietnam War. Or you can't just say that, uh, or, or, or look at it from a different perspective, that all these baby killers came in. And and if you look at it from that perspective, because uh, that was the first time we really saw war on television, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to understand it. you got to look at it uh, holistically. Now... When it comes to this uh, issue, that's what's happening right now. Uh, she just in the first issue, she, or uh, yeah, she'd had lunch or breakfast with uh, Harvey Dent, and she was just thinking, "Man, I just want to hurt this guy. He's pissing me off." Uh, she's her mind is going in different places. She's uh, an accredited um, uh, psychologist. She's got a monkey on her back that she only got to where she was because she hooked up with one of her uh, professors. And she had a leg up, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, and she was treated as such. So she's an outsider. And I'm, I'm breaking it down to how this... You know in the, the Matrix when she's like, know thyself. And I've always thought I know myself well enough. But it, yeah. this, this showed me I did not know myself well enough. And I'm not going to go too much in detail. But um, this is when she, the Joker has one of his guys bribe a guy to get all of the documentation of what Harley's working on and he's using it to manipulate her like he's got her research and why she's doing this she's trying to find a connection between the lack of empathy in regards to socio uh, sociopathic uh, tendencies and she's trying to find the right person to give that to her and she has had many failed relationships she's like I said she's been uh, she's a pariah in in the uh, psychological uh, or whatever the word is community at the moment, and she's in a place where most people would think that she's not qualified to be, which is something that really uh, have I've felt the same way. But I've able to you know to you know really kick some ass at it. But it made me realize why. Have you ever have you ever met a a friend, uh, whether girl or guy, that was addicted to broken people? that yes would would always they'd have good people come at them and they just wanted nothing to do with them but yep for some reason the the broken toys is what they were obsessed with that really grabbed their attention and the joker after reading her um uh preliminary notes on him and what she's been trying to do figured out a way to get in her head and what he said was I'd really like to see you smile. And she's drinking too much. Uh, parallel with me, this one I'm trying to say, just give you guys a little bit of insight, but not too much. Um, like, I've been in that situation where, where someone put me in edge where I started drinking too much. And I started, I started fantasizing or, or obsessing about one specific thing that they said. And he just wanted her to smile. And she started having dreams about having a real smile to give to him. And when he puts her in a position where 
she turns the cameras off in the interrogation room in Arkham. And yeah. he points out, you just gave me a real smile. And she felt it. And it made her feel so good. And and that attention that she wanted from him, because she couldn't, she didn't just want to give him a fake smile because he would have known. And she gave him that smile. He noticed. She turns the cameras off. And all of a sudden, this taboo thing that you're not supposed to do, because she wasn't really fantasizing about him in, in, in a way that was sexual, but the it was behind every wall that she was pretending wasn't there. And she turned those cameras off, took his straitjacket off, and she starts crying against the wall, and he comes right back behind her, and he puts his arms around her. and he mm. And you see that smile on her face. I'm, I'm not telling the whole thing because obviously that what's going on like i said Man. you know you got to know what's going on with harley De harvey dent and that's everyone's obsessed with that on television and that's the economic or socioeconomic climate uh because of what he's fighting for and that's in her mind everyone's obsessed with that on tv so you're getting really engulfed in in this environment like as if you were actually there like to, to where the point was where she was i'm sitting there watching the television watching her watch this what happened to dent on television and i'm like i'd like hey pause it real quick i'm gonna get a, i'm gonna get a drink real quick like i i wanted to tell her that that was how engulfed i was in the storyline the artwork was that good the the dialogue flew that uh, uh flowed that well even her nightmares uh getting caught like pouring a drink and like hey i need you to do something right now it's like 10 in the morning 10 at night and like oh yeah i'm fine to do that um a lot of it was parallel with some things that have happened in my life, and it made me know myself a little bit more. I, I was, I was, I thought that when you said it, it, it I, I didn't know that about myself. I, I, I simply didn't. I, I was, I was aghast. I was horror. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to think, and it took me a little bit to skew on this sort of thing. That that's something I, I didn't know about myself, and I hope, and 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 and, and, and to bring it full circle, um. How many people do you know, like, you see on Facebook, you know, uh, and when you are surprised that I'm talking this uh, well about Harley Quinn, which is usually just a, a pop culture throwback, and girls on Facebook or guys on Facebook are like, I want a relationship like Harley and Joker. No, you don't. <laughs> like, you don't. No, you don't. That that is why would you want? Why would you wish a emotionally abusive uh, relationship like that to the absolute extreme just because it looks pretty on paper and you can do a, a cosplay, uh, you know, couples costume? You don't want that. And and they've taken Har Harley and made it much more academic or even something to relate to as a person. Someone like me with such thick skin that I have not had anything get to me like this since a perfect circle. Um, it's been a long time. And I, I hope that one of the reasons they wrote it like this was to negate that pop culture. I want a relationship like Joker and Harley Quinn. And they're kicking ass at it. Cool. Good. And I'm, I'm sorry I got so intense about that. But it's been on my mind since I read it. I couldn't wait to tell you about it. Not at all, man. I'm trying to think of... You said something a second ago that maybe it'll come back to me about this, but... Uh, oh, that's what it was. 
that what you're talking about the joker coming around and wrapping his arms around her and it's like it makes me think of grant morrison in all-star superman having superman rescue the little goth girl i think he meant it just the way superman did i think he, yeah i think he meant it i think in a in a in an odd way uh that's that he really does love this woman but he's just doesn't know how to handle a relationship because it's you know, he kills every henchman he's got. <laughs> he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Bob Gunn. Oh, one of my favorite possessions in the world when Wizard Magazine rated uh the Bob <laughs> the, the Bob yeah. action figure is one of the worst action figures of all time. I immediately had to have it. I remember seeing that when I was a kid, like, why would I want a Bob? <laughs> but then when they said that, like um <laughs> it was like a week later, more Kismet, uh a week later, my big brother Jim was like, "Hey, I got to take you to this toy store called Toy Base 10. and I and that. that was the only thing on my mind to find, and I found it immediately. Perfect on card yeah. blister, uh, still, still in perfect, and, and I love that actor, by the way. Oh yeah, he's awesome. I didn't realize he was in Aaron Brockovich. I have never seen all of that movie, but it was on TV uh, a few several months ago now, early early this year, and I caught enough of it. And uh, I saw him in that, and I was like, "Man, he actually he looks really healthy and good in that movie." I I had an you know, I had an idea to to write a story about him with uh, uh, paired with the guy from um, the Warriors that was uh, in uh, the Crow. Um, <laughs> what, uh, it, uh, what's his name? Not Jason. Top, no, not Top Dollar. Uh, God, I'm I'm spacing on the names. T uh, Bird. T-Bird. Yeah. Uh he was he's always that squirrely like Yeah. Squirrely. I was like and then and then I was like I was like hammering out a couple of random notes and I'm like, great, you just wrote those dummies from the Bob Newhart show. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so yeah, no, no, that's that's not gonna happen. But yeah, what do you got next, brother? Oh, I gotta do Invisible Woman number four. Was it good? Um it's um it is interesting only in that it expounds upon her power set, which was kind of cool, uh, but it's turned completely obvious. You could tell from issue number one that this buddy of hers, who I've already, like, I can't remember his name and I don't care anymore, uh, that he was going to be a double agent or a bad guy or he'd gone bad. And it's really disappointing that that's, it's so obvious that's the direction it went. Uh, it's a Mark Wade book. It's uh, VC's Joe Caramagna lettering. Um, Mattia de, de Julius is the uh, artist. And uh, the art is freaking cool. It's really pretty. It is cinematic in, in the uh, way it's paneled. Um, and he has a real, really massive knack for uh, expression, but it feels a little Greg Land to me, like it might be tracing. I don't know, and I don't care. I don't care about tracing. Um, people give it a really, really big, really big hard time, and I just, I'm not the guy that cares about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just got really obvious. It's too bad that that's the direction they took. Like you know they were gonna they for a second it seemed like they were gonna get into this business of like oh maybe he's forced into this situation because there are child hostages no 
they went down a long road in this of like two or three pages of his backstory that he was kind of a psychopath uh, that didn't kill anybody only because Sue Storm was around. And when she left, he started relying on just killing the people. Easy way. That he was dealing with. Yeah, exactly. And then it all got really unfortunate when he's looking in the mirror and there's this like smiling fiend smiling back at him. And I'm, but it's crazy because I can't tell by the way that it's depicted if it's legit or if it's that's what he's seeing. And uh, because you can't see enough of him looking into the mirror to actually be able to tell, but the, the angles are, are odd. So I don't know if that, if that was the gag, it's just not enough to make it not obvious. So I don't know. In the end, it's just, it's just disappointing that this is the direction they took. I could totally read a continuing series about the invisible woman being a spy and going back and dealing with people from her past and being another uh, Black Widow, basically, but relying on her power set. I was about to say... Interacting with other characters and stuff like that. I was about to say, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm, I can only do too much espionage. Yeah, and it's all, you know, basically hot woman espionage. I just like that it, this that this further diversifies what we can do with her character because... All those years where she was just the hot mom, uh, member of the Fantastic Four, none of that stuff inspires me. Yeah. There you have it. I don't know. I, it's it was it was this this has got really weak really fast. I want to speed through a couple uh, because yeah. I feel you'll dig it, but you just need to know certain aspects of it. Teenage Mutant Turtles number ninety nine. Um, enough. So I'm just gonna breeze through it. Issue 100 is coming up. Uh, Eastman has not ever let us down in any of these issues here. We're talking family strife. We're talking more insight into the history of uh, Hamato Yoshi and um, Oroku Saki. Oroku Saki. Splinter pulling off the unbelievable the advent of the mutant mutanimals taking over and <laughs> and poisoning a large group of uh, New Yorkers and in, in instantly turning them into mutants uh, using the using the uh, retromutagen uh, as a uh, biological weapon and now you've got to deal with it and there's no going back. Story: Kevin Eastman, Bobby Cornell, and Tom Waltz. Uh, script Tom Waltz art Dave uh, Watcher colors Rhonda Patterson. Um, we're coming up to issue 100. One of my favorite things about the Team NT comics is that the milestone issues. Oh, you know when it comes to a number that's supposed to be special, 25, 50. Yeah. Issue 50. One of the greatest comics ever read. Uh, Splinter cutting the Shredder's head clean off. His uh, surrogate daughter. Uh, we're talking possibility of the resurrection of the shredder in issue 100 and it's about to happen and i hope they're smart enough not to do it <laughs> and for the turtles to stop it like if you're gonna kill the shredder i appreciate the anticipation it might happen um but stop it we don't need that you've done enough you've uh 
retrograded a lot of the good characters. Mondo Gecko. Uh, we're talking um, Ace Duck. You've brought the neutrinos. <laughs> you, you've you've done a good job of bringing a lot of these guys back and making them relevant just for a minute and not being too nostalgic. Don't do the easy way out and bring the shredder back. Um, you're already hinting at Crane coming back. Leatherhead ate him in one big swoop. Let 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 us keep that. God damn it. Um, Superior Spider-Man number twelve. Um, decent way to wrap this up. We were talking about the uh, multiverse version of Norman uh, Norman Osborn, you know, challenging um, Doctor Doctor Octopus, and him sacrificing his new hot body to be Otto Octavius again. And we're talking uh, Christos Gage, writer Mike Hawthorne, penciler Wade Von Grobrager, inker Jordi Belair, colorist VCs Clayton Cowles, letter. This is just a a, a send off. It, this is this is yeah. this is Otto Octavius flushing everything he's done in the past five years or six years down the freaking toilet, and and the pain that he has to go through in order to do that. It's worth seeing that painful goodbye. Um, he's not at his funeral, his own funeral, because he wants to witness it. He's trying to put this behind him and be auto again because when it really comes down to it you can put yourself in any mind any body you want you're still auto octavius and you might as well just be happy that your body's back and not riddled with some awful form of cancer uh kick-ass number 18 um really disappointed with this up issue oh man really, really. um i was expecting for kick-ass to uh steve niles writer marcella freston artist sunny go all colorist John Workman, letterer, uh, Melino, Melina, uh, McCulloch, design and production. Uh, she breaks a cardinal rule. I didn't think, I mean, this is a wrap up of the story. Um, I, I think this took me four minutes to read and not worth your, not worth your dollars, but not, <laughs> it's terrible to hear, not worth your comic comic dollars guys read this in graphic form it's fun in a graph it'll be way fun in a graphic form you can read it all in one full swoop in maybe 30 45 minutes and she does something i didn't think she would and and then i was so disappointed that it was all just a build-up for her to be exposed on television and for a uh, hit girl hanging out in um i think they wrote this a little bit too early and then it came out a little too late because Hit Girl's in India right now, and it looks like she's in uh, Hong Kong. And she's like, oh, well, well, well. Looks like I'm heading back to the States to, you know, to meet up with this new kick-ass. Okay, um, what are you going to do? You guys are going to duke it out like the Avengers for the first 20 minutes and then realize we're all on the same side? Um, I, I'm not looking forward to that, but I'm, I'm too far in. <laughs> I'm always going to read it. I'm always going to read it. And... Uh, that's what I, I two of the last three are worth buying that's too bad man that's ultra disappointing yeah what do you got next brother um oh boy marvel zombies resurrection number one as if this whole tired thing hadn't already just gone away the last time that we could even look at machine man seriously 
He was really a member of of Next Wave, right? Agents of Hate. That was a while ago. Which, if you haven't freaking read that, you are missing out. You, that was that is a book of hilarity. You've messed up. Um, that, that, that was awesome. Yeah. And uh, and so the version of Aaron Stack from that book, which you still can't take seriously, but you can get close, is pining for Jocasta, who is working for um, Armor. The the X Men? No, no, no. Armor the organization. There's shield, sword, and armor, right? So what do they work for? How do they operate? That's a question. How do you how do they operate? Do you know? Right. I thought you were asking me. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I am asking. Uh Shield is tracking superhuman terrestrial threats. Um Sword is tracking extra or uh extraterrestrial threats to Earth. And they operate in space mainly, and then uh, armor, <coughs> excuse me, is uh, tracking multi-dimensional threats to Earth, and <clears throat> they are keeping tabs on the Marvel zombies who are in other realities, and they're like, we can't let this infection get here. My favorite thing about it is that you can't even get to their base unless you teleport to it. That's awesome, because uh, it and and like. Like what's his name? Michael Bravestar? Michael, I I think that's his name. Um, Portal. There was a character named Portal who had Darkhawk armor, and he showed up in like issue five or six or ten of of Darkhawk, and you're like, who is Portal, and why is he wearing Darkhawk's armor? And it was just like, what? So it was like that. I don't know. When I was a kid, and that came out, that was a big deal to me. And um, the character is working for Armor, and he's like, yeah, so. I'm in charge of this organization, and you you have to teleport to get here. And we have a zombie problem. Not on Earth, but they will be coming, and we're trying to keep that from happening. Now there there's, there's evidence of our existence in one of these universes controlled by the zombies. So we need you to... Uh, we need some robots to go over there and try to find a way to uh, deal with this without bringing the infection back. And uh, so, like... That's it. That's the last time we talked to anybody about zombies in Marvel Zombies 5. Okay. And now we're trying to restart this. So uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is writing. Uh, Leonard Kirk is the artist. Uh, Guru EFX is the color art. And uh, VC's Travis Lanham is uh, the letterer. Um, I'm not going to say there was anything extraordinary about any of that particular work. And I don't know what universe we're even looking at because clearly we're not just going to kill all of these characters. Uh, story starts with uh, Reed Richards coming out and saying, "Hey, Captain America, Beast, um, Tony Stark, we need to uh, we need to deal with this strange Galactus hovering out at the edge of our solar system that appears to be dead." And they're like, "Yeah, well, maybe we can get a tissue sample and we can figure out some of his tech and." Whatever. So, you know, these guys that just can't help but meddle with science and technology and engineering go up there with some of the Avengers and part of the X-Men and whatever, and they all get killed and turned into zombies. Just that fast, huh? Like, over the course of the book, yeah, Wolverine's like, oh, I know what this is, and Captain Marvel is out there, Carol Danvers is out there, and she's zombified, and they're all inside Galactus' body. I mean, it's a true... House of Horrors story. Because everybody 
who has an opportunity to leave decides to stay behind and do some other thing and then they get infected and it's just and now now they look more like rage zombies from 28 weeks later uh they have red eyes and they have the blood coming out of their mouths instead of being the like scary stories to tell in the dark style artwork you know and um now that i love it is An appropriate horror story, and simultaneously, it is such a disappointment because I don't. Because me personally, I don't want to see these characters doing awful things to each other, let alone anybody else. Cash grab. It is so so hard to see Captain America go down, and all of these characters go down so easily by something they can't even understand happening, and it's permanent. They're dead. They can't come back from this. And then they're zombies and they go on and they continue to eat everybody else. And they'll end up eating the whole planet just like what happened in the last stuff. And, you know, zombie Spider-Man will hate himself for eating Mary Jane and Aunt May and all that crap. And it's just... I, the zombie thing is over, guys. It's We're it's done. it's over. It, it was a failed experiment that everyone I think thought was. Oh a, no! It was massively successful. It lasted well, for ten plus years. Well, twenty years. I think twenty years. Well, I'm talking about that. I think the only reason they kept it going was uh, the anomaly that you, you you throw a bunch of shit against the wall, something's going to stick, and what stuck was The yeah. Walking Dead, <clears throat> and people don't understand yeah. that zombies are not meant to be taken seriously like this at all or for me to ever believe or even have fun reading a story where that would happen to captain america um maybe in the first uh couple you know zombie marvel stuff with uh arthur's sudam or what that whatever the uh, apparently he's an asshole i don't know um okay uh like takes people's uh space at cons type guy and uh it it Zombies, in my mind, because, you know, I'm 37, are silly, and they're meant to be silly. They've never been scary. Uh, I, 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 my favorite is, uh, um, well, a few of my favorites, Shaun of the Dead, uh, Night of the Living Dead with uh, that Tom Savini directed, uh, or two, what was the exact title? Um, those movies were, were their n- thriller. You know, it's... it's yeah, yeah, sure. Um Walking Dead isn't about zombies. That's why it worked. No. That's why it worked. Yeah, totally. And um, this is just such an idiot cash grab to me. And and uh, it's it's done. Stop it. It's over. Like I'm tired of it. I think the two things the re- the, the 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 log line for The Walking Dead was you know when the dead walk the earth the living are are forced to finally start living or something like that. Yeah, and I thought that makes sense because we're following these characters and that that works, but then. The real thing about zombie stuff to me has never been that. It's been the it's been the end of rule of law. That's the thing I have I used to have nightmares about. That's the thing I used to be concerned with and you know, we live in a, I live in a state where you have to have a bug out bag because of tornadoes, let alone other stuff. Uh We've seen too many horrendous disasters in the last several years and now I don't believe that it would be as bad as all that. Yeah, pandemonium, lots of death, end of rule of law. But at a certain point, I think it takes a lot of desperation for people to start deciding to eliminate one another. And I'm not an optimist, but I'm saying that 
even at the worst moments for me i've even like in the worst emotional moments i've had lately i still leapt at the opportunity to help somebody out with their problems right and that makes me that that makes me feel heartened as a person so the zombie thing i think it's just it's time to just let it go there's no reason to resurrect seeing a bunch of these characters who inspire us dying and making horrendous choices and uh, sacrificing their goodness. So if I want that, I can read New Avengers Illuminati. That was a great, great telling story about the best Marvel characters having to make horrendous destroys choices to save their world. And this is not that. So no literary value whatsoever. Um, yeah, I'm going to call it a real one on a scale of one to ten. Oh, that's pretty bad, man. Like, how was the art? Uh, mediocre. Okay, gotcha. Are we we talking like... Okay, I don't even want to go into it. You got it. Uh, I want to... Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Speaking about loss of optimism, perfect segue for uh, Tales from the Dark Multiverse number one, Death of Superman. I'm (laughs) I'm really excited about what they're doing with Tales from the Dark Multiverse, because this is something new that they're doing. Uh, it's, it's really sparse when we get Elseworlds tales, uh, that are good from DC. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think they're doing this to prepare us for what they're really going to surprise us with. And you can read previews and have a good idea of what's going to happen. But from, uh, you're the villain, uh, where it looks like she's going to win. Uh, we got to be prepared for a little bit of time in DC where things are all jacked up and, um, the multiverse is spread and the darkness is overtaken. And I, either they're, they're preparing us for that and trying to trick us into that. Uh, regardless, I'm really enjoying the last one. We, we actually reviewed uh, the one about uh, Batman and Bane. If you know, Azrael took over, if the bat had really been broken, this is being the death of Superman, Jeff Loveness script, Brad Walker pencils, Drew Hennessy and Norm Ratmund inks uh john calice colors clayton cowles letters uh but not vcs clayton cowles by the way which is why i wanted to bring that up so we've got uh the tempest uh fuganaut guardian against the dark multiverse and he's seeing the dark multiverse uh, like it's like he's watching a dna strand of you know a positive multiverse and a dark multiverse and this time he looks into a world uh, where the ending of Death of Superman number 75 back in, I want to say, 1991, uh, when uh, Doomsday and Superman killed each other. And this one ended, oh, wow. rather than Lois Lane uh, doing her best to stay strong and keep everyone positive and you know, do her best to do good with uh, Jonathan and Martha, uh, she is filled with anger and hatred and when the justice league finally shows up and finds a dead superman you failed him he needed you and you failed him and you let him die alone where were any of you and i don't want to hear their excuses i won't listen to their those hypocrites ever again and as she's stewing at the funeral that she's so pissed off that jonathan and martha can't attend that the people that truly knew clark and Superman are, they can't even see the casket. There's too many people because these posturing superheroes are pallbearers. And and the people that really loved you are 
loved him are around. And she becomes obsessed with the idea that he wasn't, he didn't do enough. And she says goodbye to Jonathan and Martha. And Jonathan's sick and Martha's crying that both her boys are gone. And she goes to the Fortress of uh, Solitude. And the Eradicator, who was, if you remember the uh, the Reign of Superman st uh, storyline, he was the one with the visor. Uh, comes out and says, "I, you know, I, I grabbed him. I took." I, I'm trying to remember, but yeah, he, he's the one with the visor, and he's he he comes out. He's basically the entity that uh, the Protector of Krypton, born to defend the last son of the House of El. He took Kal El's body from the tomb and put him in the. Uh, Kryptonian life matrix to re-energize the cells, which is what really happened in in uh, the Dan Jurgen story, which eventually Superman was revived. But he, rather than become the fourth Superman pretender, he needs a body, and Lois offers her hit her him hers, and she gains the powers of Superman. And she has a bloody... She's in all black, and the bloody Superman logo is her crest. And she's got the torn up... She's got the torn up Superman um, cape as her cape. And she's... her it, Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's an odd choice, but it worked that her facial makeup is running mascara. And she decides... She's like, well, he stopped bank robbers. I'm going to stop the ones running the banks. And she's just murdering people. She is finding the supervillains and destroying them. She is uh, finding the governments that are depriving their people of food, giving the people the food, and murdering the people running the place, uh, creating all these pockets uh, of of necess You know when you know when you, you can't just destroy the. <laughs> uh, you can't just like what happened uh, would created ISIS. You create a power vacuum, and yeah, right. Mm -hmm. uh, she finds Lex Luthor, and he tells her, "Yeah, I did all this stuff. He's drinking, working on some stuff, telling her about how he just needed to bump his stocks up, so he, you know, helped some regime kill some kids." And she just, and don't worry, it doesn't matter. Uh, you won't ever be able to prove it. And she grabs him by the neck. And she slowly drags him up into the atmosphere and he burns to a bloody crisp. And she finds the Joker, kills the Joker. Batman attacks her and she kills Batman. Like, she she what? she flat out tells him. <laughs> she flat out tells him what she thinks of him. This was something I really wanted to expound on. Uh, he always pitted you. He'd tell me all the time in the flashback, Clark is in bed, he's just kind of morning and i just want to stop him lois but he has nothing else he's so alone i I just want to stop him and batman is furious i don't i don't stop and she just ends him and the raid of superman guys show up you know superboy steel um the cyborg superman and he's you know he just reveals his secret right off the bat as opposed to like 15 issues like it was back in the day and she is witnessing the other Superman trying to help. They're mercilessly killed. Uh, he immediately sets off his main bomb that was going to destroy Coast City. And Clark shows up. It took a while for him to regenerate. And the, the, the machine destroys Superman again. And she is faced with the 
awful realization that he's terrified of her when before while he's dying she's like he asks her why is everyone scared of you and she grabs him to you know console him as he's dying and he's his eyes are filled with terror like she's not the woman yeah superman could have she's she's going and doing all the things that superman quote unquote should have done but what superman really did was yeah he stopped bank robbers he didn't destroy the the guys that ran the banks that are bleeding everyone dry um right we needed to figure that out on our own he was stopping the bank robbers to just keep us safe on, on on a minute level and let us figure it out on our own and she thought she needed to go and just destroy bit by bit and whoever man the writer of this slaved over this this was such a phenomenal elseworlds tale uh and she becomes uh, the dark avenging angel of the multiverse. She's she becomes the eradicator itself. It just cursed to be the eradicator with all this guilt. The eradicator is meant just to protect Krypton, not not. She sullied everything in her. It was a true tale of what hatred and not thinking more than five minutes in front of your face will truly do if you have that much power. And it was a, yeah. it was such a good story. And I, I, I can't wait for all this to be uh, compounded in a, in a solid graphic novel and that should be traded. And, and, and in a way, you know, think about it, you know, I mean, yeah, they had a lot of bit of the tropes, you know, they're using the, the bloody Superman logo, whoever thought to use the bloody Superman logo as an actual logo on an actual Superman as she's wearing his cloak. And I hope you guys like it. Uh, I know I just ruined a lot of it, but it, it's one of those, it, well, it's, it's one of those things you can tell someone what house of leaves is about, or it, it doesn't matter. Uh, you still got to, you still have to uh, engulf yourself in it and really wrap yourself around it or let it wrap itself around you and find yourself within these pages it was that good. That's awesome, man. What do you got next, brother? Um, I'm going to finish up with... Uh, well, let me talk about this real quick. Just real quick. It's it's comics related. It's just not a book. Um, a lot of times, I will get all my... I will get my uh, credits information by just like copying and pasting from Comic Book Database which has been one of my favorite sites for a number of years. Somebody brought it up a long time ago, and then I had it on my phone, and I loved that because, you know, you go to a store, and you've got, a, you've got an interactive list of your wish list and your, your collection, so you know you, you don't accidentally over-purchase something. You don't, you know, second, don't get another issue of Captain Marvel number eight or something like that. Because, you know, when you're doing something like that, you're probably spending some real money. Right. Um... I went in tonight and I was like, okay, yeah, let's, let me just put my credits on here and everything. And, um, it automatically, so this is comicbookdb.com. Important. Uh, they'll be closing their doors on December 20 or December 16th this year. They're going to, they say they're going to create a new tool. Uh, and they automatically had a link that I could click and it gave me an Excel spreadsheet in seconds of all of the thousands and thousands of books that I've got. And 
and I can save that and I can print it off and automatic I just automatically felt like special somehow because I've got all this other stuff in my life that I work with that doesn't give me information that fast and uh I don't know. I'm really going to miss this. I love, like, okay, hey, I got a stack of books, and I haven't uploaded all of these Nova issues or something like that. And it's just you go on a long thing one night, listen to a bunch of music, or get a documentary on YouTube, and just pound new information into this thing. And then it's, you've, you know, oh, yeah, there's so many books you've got. And here's what the condition, where did you get it? What was the date? And what did you pay for it? It's just, it's been a really great site and uh, i hope that they develop something that they think is better and it still gives us the same uh user friendliness so i don't know i'm sad to see it go but i hope whatever they're doing next is going to be rad uh and i thank them for the efforts that they put into this this has been a great thing so um yeah uh the the last book i've got right now is star trek year five number seven uh Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly writing, Stephen Thompson, uh the artist. Amazing. Still consistently awesome. Like every character looks like what they're supposed to look like. Uh Charlie Kirchhoff, the colorist. I love seeing seeing this. It's just it's so this is a relaxing, consistent book by way of the artwork and the writing, and it just you know you're in for some quality. Uh Neil Udic you Yuitake is the letterer. Um, and I'll be really brief. I mean, we're still dealing with circumstances that have been going on since issue number one. They have this Tholian child on the ship. It's Star Trek. The Tholians. You can't communicate with them. You don't know anything about them. And uh, <clears throat> they're very insular. They're a very insular society. But this is exploring that race of beings. And it is expounding on them. And it is... Uh, it is enhancing our appreciation, I'd say, of these characters because they, they're they being as intellectual as they pos possibly can be. And it's been fascinating so far. Uh, they got caught in a new Tholian. You see the episode The Tholian Web, which has ramifications throughout all of other Star Trek. And uh, they're... They're paying attention to that episode. They get stuck in a net, a Tholian net, and they encounter a an aquatic alien that they make first contact with, and uh, they they do one of those amazing little Kirk things. We're going to try a low tech solution to a high tech problem. Nice, and uh, it's fascinating what they're going to try. And then, uh, and then he takes Sulu on this mission. And I can't read anything involving Sulu without thinking of George Takei and Bill Shatner's relationship. And I can't help but think about that in reading this and seeing Sulu feel bad about them getting caught in the situation while he was in command and seeing, seeing Captain Kirk telling him, you know, this would bother me, but what you did does not, you know? Right. And it was just, it was a leadership lesson moment that helps me see Sulu becoming a captain later. And I just want to see these old, whatever this old beef, you know, get solved before these elderly men are no longer with us. Because it's already hard enough to not have Jimmy Dewan and D. Kelly and... uh 
Anton Yeltsin so young, man. I mean, it's hard enough to see these guys not be with us and knowing Nichelle Nickel is not going to be doing any doing that many more appearances. Yeah. She's she's getting I mean, up there and she's really put her dues in. Yeah. yeah. Not to mention, of course, Leonard Nimoy. It just hurts and I I would hate to think that any of these guys who had worked together for so many years could go to the go to their ultimate destiny and not be at peace with one another for what they've done for us all because I want to see the reality be the reality of their humanity be as amazing as the creative fiction that they got to portray right so that's I mean what I'm not sitting here day after day thinking about this it's just it occurred to me because I was reading this issue and it was awesome to see Kirk and Sulu going on a mission together where they weren't trying to fight a Romulan drill. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, this book is great. This book just consistently stays great. I'm going to read it to the end. There's apparently a year four. I got to go out and find all the issues of or see if it's collected. Uh, in fact, I'm going to check with my vendor. Dudes, can you get me this? Anyway, so yeah, that's what I've got, man. <sighs> I'm really glad you pulled that out from Star Trek, man. That, especially because you've been so excited for that entire series. Yeah, it's really great. It's just, if you like the original series for what it is, and then if you like Next Generation for its real honest-to-God mystery-solving and, like, uh, intuitiveness and relying on each character for their abilities instead of it just being like you know kirk's gonna talk his way out of the situation or trick a robot into blowing up or you know whatever this is your book because this has the dialogue quality of the next generation in an original series setting and it makes it feel Redemptive, it makes redemptive. It, it makes uh, them, I don't know. It makes them just feel like, no, dude, you can't stop us because we are this good. This is the end of our five-year mission. We are that good. We have ironed out all the kinks. We have. We can we can talk to each other with just expressions. This is how, like, we know everything about one another now. We're an unstoppable force. We're the only constitution class ship that's going to come back from the five-year mission and for good reason because the crew could drive this lady home you know and uh it makes so much sense and after this is over i want to see the lost years i want to see those five years that they're alluding to you know, before the motion picture happens. And I, I would hope that they would pull that off uh, because some of those novels back in the day were pretty difficult to get into for that, that chronicle that era, but some of them are really good. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to get into my comic of the week. What would you say your comic of the yeah. week was? Um, Man, let me roll through this. I mean, that Star Trek book was just top-notch. It really sets you on um, fire, man. I love hearing you get that passionate. Honestly, yeah. 
Doctor Strange totally surprised me. Uh, Silver Surfer Black. I don't know if it was the best issue of the series. I think the art was a little less than it has been, but it was no less incredible. Uh, and it was uh, very dense. Yeah, oh yeah, it really was. But this doc, this this Star Trek one, I think gave me the most emotional response. So I'm going to go with that one being my favorite book this week that I read. I mean, I haven't even got to read everything. I totally forgot that Fight Club was out. Uh, my comic of the week was a absolute left field black label DC surprise. Joe Hill presents <laughs> House Hill Comics Basket Full of Heads. Now, you hear that title and you're like, great, dumbass horror shit, right? Uh, wrong. <laughs> uh, this was an exercise in suspense, character development, and um, really getting to gnaw on the, the meat and the fat of a really good cooked steak. And written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Leo Mox, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Daron Be- Bennett, edited by Mark Doyle and Amedo Totoro, Basketful of Heads, created by Joe Hill. Uh, it starts out with a mysterious figure that is in a heavy raincoat and carrying a basket with an American flag uh, tapestry over it. And there's something in it. Obviously, there's some heads in there, and they they're hitchhiking over a bridge, and a car pulls over to pick up whether or not you don't know who this person is yet. And at the end of the comic, you still don't know who that person is, and it goes to before flashlight, Brody, uh, before Brody Island, Maine, September 1983. Uh, very gorgeous upstart woman. She's intelligent. She is in college. She's learning psychology. She's got a really good theory. Her boyfriend is an upcoming cop at a, at a tourist destination. His job is coming to an end. And you're seeing their their relationship at a, a really good apex uh, before things level out, before they get to another level. And yeah. there are some uh, guys on a, what do you call it, chain gang. Four of them break out and... He wants to help. He puts his, uh, they just, uh, you know, hammered it out over the, the, the bridge that you see the person with the basket full of heads at the beginning. And they show how well he's done over the summer in a tourist trap area. And he's losing his job until things pick up again. And the chief sends him to his uh, wife's house. No, 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 no work for you to do here. Just go home, go to my house. You know, my wife, my wife's expecting you. And uh, she has bought him many relics from the past, including what looks like a Viking-era uh, battle axe that when she takes a look at it, or the boyfriend takes a look at it, uh, the cracks in it immediately light up in blood as they walk away. And it's the the four escaped criminals have killed the, uh, killed the guy, and the... You know, there's a break-in. You know, obviously the, the, the chief sends his wife away to his her sister's house, stay there and watch my house. And the the, the development of their relationship is especially um, relieving in a sense of I'm constantly seeing a lot of relationships deteriorate. Not my own, but when you have friends or 
close people at work, you, you constantly hear things uh, about how things are not good. This is yeah. this is the opposite. And his relationship with the chief, uh, her faith in her boyfriend, the faith that the chief's wife has in both of them, and it's not even anything too supernatural yet. It's obviously going to get that way. But it ends with one of those perfect, like, EC comic throwaways where uh, go upstairs, lock the doors, I'm going to go get the gun from the safe, and you see these, <laughs> yeah. you see a couple of guys in the house with flashlights obviously about to do some stuff. Uh, four heads in a, in a basket, four escaped criminals. Is it the girl? Is it the, is it the boy? It's probably going to be the girl. I hope it's, I hope it's the girl. Not because... Um, any particular reason that it should be the girl. Uh, I just like her the best and how well they developed her. And you see these things going on in the, the, the end page is that, like I said, the EC classic terrified damsel in distress while the, the baddies are, you're seeing from the point of view from the side, like split through the door and the artwork is expressive and, I was lost in this comic. I, I want to say it probably took me 20 minutes to read this comic. It'll probably take you a lot uh, sooner to read it. But <laughs> I was that engulfed and engrossed in, in this storyline. Uh, it's a lot of talking heads. Not going to lie. Um, however, the expressions are expressions that are so good that you can lose yourself in it that long. But... Yeah, that's really what I got to say about that comic book. Uh, I want to go out on a really good high note here. Excalibur number one. I don't. I disagree with them calling this Excalibur number one. Uh, obviously, they're using a lot of the characters from Excalibur, and by a lot of them, I mean very few uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, members of Excalibur. From what we're seeing, is Insubordinate Apocalypse, who is now going by an unintelligible, unpronounceable name, and it just looks like a overly designed A in Hickman's, uh, in, in the designer's uh, font for the Krakoan language. Gambit, Jubilee, um, uh, Betsy Braddock, who is now no longer Psylocke. She's been resurrected as the, as Betsy, like before she stole that chick's body. And but we get to start off with uh, the other world in Camelot. And if you don't know anything about the other world, just look it up because it's going to take too long. Uh, but it's part of a timeline in the English history that is accessible to the mutants and I guess time travelers and nowadays mystics because that's the connection. Um, but we have someone that I think you really, really like a lot. And I was so excited about reading this because you need to tell us about this woman. Um, I mean, I'm particularly interested in Morgan Le Fay, mainly because of her Doctor Doom connection. Um, she's, I mean, she's a character of Arthurian legend, clearly. Can you give us a, can you give us like a, a small crash course in her in order to understand this a little uh, bit better? I'll give it a shot. What it really boils down to is that she is, uh, in the Marvel Universe, she exists in that time, but Doctor Doom developed that time travel portal that somehow or another, uh, some wacky early, early Fantastic Four issues, 
the uh, FF eventually absconded with, or like, you know, it's, I understand why Doom, for many reasons, is pissed at them, but it's like he's got his technology. Um, but uh, Doctor Doom basically like went back in time, and became his. They became lovers, and she taught him the the dark arts. So. Well, you've got to really respect Dr. Doom for his conniving qualities and simultaneously, you know, either appropriately working his charms or tricking her into being involved with him or whatever. But that's such a story right there. And I don't think it's ever really been fully told. It's just one of those things that you know. I, that's that's something to be explored. Um the last time I remember anybody really doing anything with her was in uh, Age of Ultron. And after they, uh, after uh, Wolverine and um, Sue Storm killed Hank Pym in the past to stop Ultron from taking over the world, they came back into a future where Tony was a cyborg and they were at war with Morgan Le Fay, who'd taken over Europe, and she kept sending all of these, like, mystical critters over to fight in new york and they were like how the hell do we stop this morgan lefay's got the whole world i mean it's not beyond the realm of possibility she's not somebody that just constantly shows up it's really really sporadic and she's working her machinations you know in medieval england but not uh not without some of those things being set up to do things in contemporary marvel but more often than not it's happening in the 60s so i mean you've got a character that has incredible power and could be messing with things across all of time and doesn't always and uh i think she's another one of these underutilized probable bad guys that you're like you don't need a korvac level threat every week you know and you you can't do a galactus all the time here is an opportunity if somebody could utilize her properly. If you've got Thor and you've got Hercules running around and these are characters of legend, then there's no there's nothing to stop you from using Morgan Le Fay. And if anybody's out there listening and has a doesn't know what to do next, here it is, man. Because the amount of content involving her is not big enough that you couldn't get it all handled in a day or two. And when you have that under your hat, you can absolutely propel a story. Because, like I say, she could be doing stuff in the past that far back to set up somebody in contemporary time. And they'd all be like, what the hell? Like, how does this guy have all this power and how do we deal with it? And how is it that they're succeeding and getting somewhere and all of this stuff? And it's just because they're communicating through time. Or she set it up that way. You're my agent in the future to take revenge on these guys for effing with my life when they came back in time or something like that. There's all kinds of great plots. I'm going to shut up now because, seriously, I don't need to give away any more cool ideas. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, those were a lot. <laughs> uh, those were a lot. I don't want you to shut up, but uh, I'm glad to give us a little bit of a crash course in Morgan Le Fay. Uh, she is basically, in the underworld, she is the 
the portal you're talking about has now been appropriated by the Krakoan flowers and is now a portal that for some reason the artist formerly known as Apocalypse cannot <laughs> cannot yeah. uh, access as a, as a time portal. Uh, the, there's something stopping him, and she's the one stopping it, and he's trying to figure out how to do it. Now, there's a lot of other literary things going on here uh, in terms of uh, tools that uh, need to be acknowledged. First and foremost is they have abolished the circle around the X on the X-Men logo. Oh, really? Yes, because uh, from the Krakoan Grimoires, now the, the circle around the X is more of a uh, a blockage. It's a idea that is preventing the X from growing. Oh, okay. That's, that's cool. Uh, I, I want to uh, reference uh, the uh, Crowley logo, if that's what you want to call it, or, or, or crest or sigil. Uh, it's it's a clover which is meant to represent the pentacle which represents uh, mm -hmm. the earth wind fire heart mother spirit you name it uh, but Crowley felt that the pentacle or penta pentagram was not complete it only represented an earthly version of what should be understood. It, there was a, a greater idea. So the design around it, and if you have any semblance of what I'm talking about or don't know what I'm talking about, just look at the logo in the giant... Um, it's not the gong behind Danny Carey in, in all tool performances, but it's in the center of it. Uh, it's, it. It's meant to represent that the pentagram pentacle is not complete and that you have to encapsulate the idea of the universe itself. Which is logical, and it's it's uh, encapsulated that that extra bit is more of a is in a rainbow color to encapsulate the spectrum that we can see as an earthly being. That these are the only colors we can see, but also you need to acknowledge that you're human, and there's probably uh, spectrums out there that you can't actually acknowledge. Uh, and removing the circle on the X is meaning that the X needs to grow bigger, and that it was right. it was hindering them. Uh, Betsy's uh, other brother is resurrected because they're constantly resurrecting uh, mutants on Krakoa and he's just a drunk and they lamented him dying but that it was a good thing and uh, she gets you know Captain Britain uh, on on the case Let, let's go on the other end go to the inner world and, and take care of this and try to break that glass uh, from the portal on from the other side and Morgan Le Fay takes over uh, Captain Britain immediately because the amulet that gives him his Captain, Captain Britain powers uh, represents that he represents the queen and she has already overtaken mm, okay. overtaken King Arthur in that era and is technically the queen and he can't help but relent. Uh, we've got Gambit and and Rogue Rogue uh, some things happened to Rogue and that 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 hurt but. You see Apocalypse, who Gambit is every every panel. You see Gambit in any way staring at Apocalypse. Uh, he filled with distrust, which is good because you got to have that one character yeah. to do that. And Betsy goes in; she's finishing it from the other side, breaks the glass, and the one last bit moment he has of actual uh, consciousness or control over his body, he gives her the amulet, and she goes through the portal. Uh, back to Krakoa, and she's Captain Britain now. And 
we've got that to deal with. We also have to deal with... I like that. Oh, it was a lot of fun. We also have to deal with the fact that uh, the people that were helping Morgan Le Fay on the, and, and the other side, the, the human mystics, one of them goes rogue, kills the rest of them, uh, not Morgan Le Fay, and is, joins Clan Akaba, which is the clan that basically nourished Ensabon Noor in the Egyptian ages and has been a shadow organization or cult that has functioned to keep the idea that, you know, the strong survives. So yeah, we finally have, I mean, like we really, you really couldn't give us too much time to really get too hung up of that, that apocalypse was a good guy. He's not, <laughs> he's not. And, yeah. and this is the semblance here. And it ends with the invocations of the gods from the, the book of high shadows of covenant Kaba, uh, hail the defenders of the magic of Avalon. So, I've never really thought of Ensabonor Apocalypse, um, unpronounceable logo. As of now, as a, I, you know, as, that, as a, it was just like as a, a, apocal- a for Apocalypse. Yeah, pretty much. But it like it's also like a symbol, and and we they've given us a bit of a legend to understand it. Um, I don't care that much to get that far in it. I probably should, um, but. Yeah, so we know that that's what's going on, and and to bring it full circle, I don't think this should have been called Excalibur. Um, yeah, you've got Captain Britain, you've got Betsy, but you don't. There's no Shadowcat. There's she's she's in the Marauders, which is fine. I'm not mad about it. I'm glad everything's been going really good. This was a great issue. I'm just saying, you didn't need to use Excalibur. Create a new name. Just because Captain Britain's there and Betsy's there. And uh, Megan, um, you don't have like you've gone so far to break every rule that was unwritten. You should not break as an X Men writer or canon writer. Give it a different name. Let's have some fun, and 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 put you you you've done so well with House and Powers of X that I I if you would have given it a different name. I wouldn't have thought that this was going to be a four-parter that was going to end at, in, with another X-Men Omega after an X-Men Alpha, like which usually happens. I would have I would have thought of this as a, legi- a legitimate book if you'd have given it a different name. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, that's that's uh, what I have. And like this was a lot of fun, man. This is one of my favorite episodes we've done. Yeah, no, I'm really kind of uh, glad that we managed i mean it was like it's been an interesting couple of weeks and uh yeah i feel like we've covered a ton of stuff today uh just a hell of a day and this has been a good a good issue a lot of limit pushing which is our 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 mantra one of our many mantras um give us an email guys uh colin and josh at minefieldscomicspodcast.com uh any gotta work on that (laughs) yeah we probably need to get a new one it's a little Pretty long. Just be shield.com or something. <laughs> Colin and Josh at Colin and Josh.com. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. So, something a little bit like where I have to pronounce this to let you know there's some plurals in there. Um, right. But yeah, this was a, a great week of comic books. Um, I savored every moment because we're coming to the holidays and you know what happens in comics in the holidays? 
we slow down and very little books get released. And uh, I, I kind of feel like it's one of those things where, well, we can't do too much in uh, November, December because there's not a lot of readers at this time. Okay, I get it. You know, it's economically, the numbers are probably there. But uh, savoring such a great week of comics. Thank you so much, writers and artists, editors, letters. Uh, you really, you fulfill us. You you sustain us. And we can't wait to be your peers. Dude, there you have it. Yeah. Send us off, man. I have an ignore. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Gotta, gotta, we gotta finish up. I gotta... I gotta make a movie tomorrow. I gotta work on movies tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I got. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what we've got next week. Um, I need to. I need to do. I need to. Yeah, we. Maybe that's what we ought to do. Sit down and reread all of these uh, books that are too convoluted by themselves and single issues, and just be like, no, nope, we're gonna do a full report on this and see what we figured out and rank it compared to its previous iterations and stuff. I'm looking at you, Fight Club. I know, right? And. Uh, yeah, because it's somehow or another it deserves it deserves that respect. But yeah, anyway, that's what I got. Thanks for everything, and uh, we'll talk to you all again soon. This is dangerous. Minefields over and out.